Congress provided the Veterans Affairs Department nearly $20 billion to take on COVID-19. The money came with a requirement to account for it, and now VA's Office of Inspector General has found that the department worked hard to document its handling of that money. But weaknesses in VA's financial management systems do raise some questions. For more, VA's Deputy Assistant Inspector General, Nick Dahl. Mr. Dahl, good to have you on. Good morning, Tom. Thanks for having me. And tell us what it is you were specifically looking for. This was partly about the accountability itself of the money, but also partly about VA's ability to even carry out the accountability with all the willing intention of doing so. Right. Our, our review objective on this, it was an early look at how VA was accounting for COVID. And our review objective for this first project we did was to assess the Veteran Health Administration or VHA's internal controls for the accuracy of tracking and reporting at the transaction level of detail for how they spent these COVID funds. And what was your overall assessment of how they were doing? Well, they were meeting the requirements for weekly and monthly reporting but we certainly had concerns about the accuracy and completeness of the reporting. And what gave rise to their inability to be totally accurate? Well, VA does rely on its, I'll call it antiquated financial management system. It's not really a nimble or modern day financial management system. So it, it does not give VA at the top level real transparency or visibility over what is happening at the facility level. So VA, VA's Office of Management was responsible for the reporting to OMB and Congress, was relying on the controls at the local facility to ensure the data was complete and accurate. So that's really what it came down to. It's very labor intensive for VA at the Office of Management level to get to the transactions. They really would need to work with each of the 170 or so medical centers to find out what the transactions were at those facilities. That's almost a theme of VA. It's so deeply embedded in its federated nature that when it comes to the VISTA system or accounting systems, everything is pieces, and it's very hard to roll up what's going on to the departmental level, isn't it? Absolutely. We, we see it time and again. And just some odd details that came out in the report, there were fields in the reports that had negative dollar amounts where there should have been positive dollar amounts. What causes oddball thing like that to happen? Well, that, I'll give you two parts to that answer. VA reported to Congress and OMB that the negative dollar amounts were related to their early COVID response efforts when incorrect accounting codes were used. And because the incorrect accounting codes were used, they needed to make adjustments or transfer some of the transactions to ensure that they use the correct codes. The second part of that, though, is when we did question VA officials, they couldn't really definitively say what those negative dollar amounts represented. It was some level of speculation that, you know, at least some of them were transfers from an incorrect accounting code to a new accounting code. But it really could have been system errors or credits from vendors. There really is no way of knowing without really drilling into the data. So the result is then that they have to do a lot of rework on reports that they spent a lot of man hours producing in the first place. 
they would. It's just so many manual processes involved in getting to the true nature of some of these transactions. We're speaking with Nick Dahl. He's Deputy Assistant Inspector General at the Veterans Affairs Department. And another odd thing that I noticed, at least as of December or six months, seven months ago, they'd only spent about a third of the money. They'd obligated more of it, but they hadn't actually spent that much of it. And so what happens? Do they give it back or does it get repurposed? Wouldn't you have to go to Congress to reprogram it or It will be interesting. My understanding, and I apologize for not being 100% solid on this, but my understanding of the CARES Act funding is it does need to be spent by this September 30th if it's going to be used. I expect the VA will end up spending most of it, but if they don't spend it by the end of the fiscal year, I assume it would have to be turned back. Well, they wouldn't be a good federal agency if they didn't rush it out the door by (laughs) September 30th. That's me saying it, not you. I wouldn't wouldn't put that thought on you. But well, the question is, what are your recommendations? How do they get, you know, not just for the COVID spending money, but for all the VA money? It sounds like they need to do some serious work on the system level here. Yeah, and, I, and I'll give you two parts of that as well. We did recommend that VA consider the inherent risks due to VA's and VHA's outdated financial information technology infrastructure and develop procedures to validate the data at the program activity level rather than just at the summary fund level. And they, and they responded that they would. But, you know, you bring up a good point about FMS and the challenges it presents. They are going through a financial management business transformation where they are attempting to bring a system called IFAMS, which will be a modern integrated financial and acquisition management system online. Now, it's probably a 10-year effort, Tom, and we're probably about three years into that effort. So it's going to be, right now, the current plan is to have everyone in VA online sometime in 2027. They have been bringing it online in pieces. It's in use for NCA, the National Cemetery Administration, and parts of VBA. But VHA, they're still a few years away from bringing that online. You know, I would say for accounting purposes, VHA is the most complex organization within VA. Sure. And again, this is a little bit outside the scope of the report, but from what you've seen, it does work when it is installed at Cemetery Administration and to the extent that it is at VBA? We are currently conducting our first review right now of the implementation of IFAMS at National Cemetery Administration. You know, I don't feel like I can comment on it uh, right now, but it's being used. I will tell you that. All right. And uh, in many ways, it sounds like a parallel to their electronic health record system where you've got to just take it step by step. And it seems like just looking at it from, again, from the IG level, that they have taken on a lot of modernizing on multiple fronts. It's a huge undertaking with EHR and IFAMS being two huge systems. They're also looking to bring a logistics system online. I'm hearing talk about an overall HR system. I guess it's a result of the fact that they're behind. (laughs) I assume you are familiar with some of the past difficulties updating the financial management system. They have tried a couple times in the past and have not been successful. So they're probably a, a good decade behind on the financial system. And just getting back to the COVID money, though, with what you are able to see, it looks like it was spent in the way that it was intended to be spent and used and obligated ultimately. Right. We don't have any indications that there were problems with the spending. I will say we're just kicking off a project now where we are going to go to a specific network, which is a group of medical centers in VHA. In this one, we're actually going to go down. We ourselves are going to go in and do some testing at the transaction level 
to see how the funds were spent, see whether the spending was appropriate. So stay tuned for that. So that's like looking at the rivets to seeing if the Titanic itself is going to float. (laughs) You got it. Nick Dahl is Deputy Assistant Inspector General at the Veterans Affairs Department. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having us and appreciate your interest in our work. We'll post this interview along with a link to his report at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the President and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con- consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about. But that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it. Um, From Sea to the C-Suite, fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but... Uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, 
I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was, you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers, as others call them, every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance, in some cases, and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship. Step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right, and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From Sea to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes. When I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they going to say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment, and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book, and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan, who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon, uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book, Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from 
the Pentagon, they stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the U.S. Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.